Kevin Markwick. Golden Retriever, Super Furry Animals, good evening. Good to see so many of you here. Thank you all for coming. Thank you to uh, Adrian for two hours of soul loveliness. And we will get that show done. Even if I have to make it up as I'm going along. So Kevin Markwick here for two hours of uh, stuff. Good music and good film music. Uh, what I've done tonight is my turn to pick stuff from the 80s. Given that we finished the 80s last week, sort of officially, and everyone else got a say, Cheney got a say, the box office got a say, I didn't get a say. So what I've done is I've picked a film from every year of the 80s. 80, 81, Something that I particularly like and that we didn't cover. So prepare for a bit of weirdness. And Cheney will mop up 1989 in his own inimitable style. There'll also be music from uh, Deer Tick, Flight of the Concords, London Grammar, I Am Arrows, Dum Dum Girls, uh, Tom Waits, 
and Heidi Talbot. It's actually a... It's like, on paper, it's a well-oiled machine. Whether that actually comes uh, to pass, only my button finger can say. So a show packed so tight. We better get on with it. Frap, ooh la la, from uh, was it from Supernature in uh, 2005? Now I was really upset actually that um, I couldn't get tickets, which is a shame. She's uh, playing in Brighton at the Dome in March, and I forgot to set my alarm to go online and get tickets, and it sold out pretty pretty much immediately. So if you're um, if you're going and you want a date, you know, just let me know. I can come along. I mean, obviously there's a limit to what I'll do, but um, you know. I'm pretty broad-minded. <laughs> See, this is what happens. 
You relax for a second and it all goes wrong. Deer tick, 20 miles. Tick uh, from Providence on uh, Rhode Island or in Rhode Island. Uh, that's a 2010 single called 20 Miles. Now, what I meant to say also that you need to get in touch with the show at Kevin Mark Quick on Twitter would be good. Uh, I'm watching the Twitter stream as we speak. And on Facebook, uh, the Kevin Mark Quick Show, you can go to the Facebook page and you can hurl abuse at me there if you are on the book of the face thing. Uh, it doesn't look like the cams are working tonight. 
Um, I've come in and there's sort of some new computers and things here, and I can't seem to make the webcam. Well, I can't seem to get on the webcam, so uh, which might be a good thing all round, really. Uh, my dandruff as as an image was beginning to become a little tedious. Even I would admit, you know, because actually I would also be looking at the back of my head. It's like some kind of weird, you know. One of those mirror things that goes on forever. Uh, so there's, there's no point in me wittering on about telling you something you can't do, is there? That's ridiculous. So you can email me at the studio, actually, as well. Studio at arcfieldfm.co.uk. That'll get through to me. But it is good to hear from you, you know? Uh, hear what you think, hear what you're doing, uh, even if it's begging me to just stop. So uh, what have I got to do? Uh, we've got one more track, then we're going to take a break. And this should put a smile on your face. It's Flight of the Concords. A kiss is not a contract, but it's very nice mm, It's very nice Just because you've been exploring my mouth Doesn't mean you get to take an expedition for the south, no A kiss is not a contract, but it's very nice It's very, very nice just because we've been playing tonsil hockey Doesn't mean you get to score the goal That's in my jockey Just because I'm in a two-man novelty band Doesn't mean it's all about boom tang I can't go around loving everyone I just wouldn't get anything done You can take me out to dinner and I'd be quite nice But that won't get you into fans paradise They call it a fly Because it takes you up to heaven Oh, oh A kiss is not a contract But it's very nice It's very, very nice I'm only one man Bridge of baby, we're only two men, ladies, the babies, the pretty babies.
of uh, Hannah Reed, London Grammar. Uh, this is kind of their breakthrough year, really. It's got to be one of the albums of the year, isn't it? If you wait, I would have thought so. Um, it's yeah, it's just rather rather wonderful. Now, uh, Cheney's going to be on a little bit earlier in the uh, film hour. He's gonna, in fact, we're going to go straight in, no waiting, straight in with Cheney because I've got so much stuff to get through uh, that you know why why wait? Uh, so we'll have uh, this track from I Am Arrows, Green Grass. And then more stuff. We do stuff here. You ran away to some in California. I'll stay the same. Under grey skies, I'll come undone. And I know on holiday, the great. 
I Am Arrows, which is the band formed by um, the ex-Razorlight drummer Andy Burrows in 2009, and that was from their debut album uh, Sun Comes Up Again, which remains a favourite on this show with us. And when I say us, I mean me. Uh, right, I'm going to play you all oh, one of my favourite tracks at the moment. Don't you love it when DJs say that? This is one of my favourites right now. Uh, it, but it is. It's the Dum Dum Girls. Lost Boys and Girls Club. Uh, we'll have a break, and then it's film stuff.
wonderful. I can't get enough of that. Dum Dum Girls, Lost Boys and Girls Club. Uh, that's the first single from the upcoming Too True album, which is due to land in uh, January. So, uh, film stuff after one of these. Here we go then. I've given it away now. It's not me playing the flute. Flute. I don't think it's a flute, is it? It's a recorder. Perhaps Chaney will bring it in again next week and have another go like he did at the end of the last season. I think he's coming in. He's yet to confirm, but we're hoping, we're keeping our fingers crossed, ladies, it'll be here. In the meantime, here's his voice wrapping up 1989. Hello. So, here we are, at the end of the decade. Like the pop music, indeed like the very money of the 1980s, cinema had been pursuing all sorts of ideas and markets. For neither the first nor the last time, we watched as the left field wiped the floor with what looked like guaranteed hits. From serious drama to science fiction, the great explosion of cinema for children or the maturation of the 1970s blockbuster, the formula for success remained out of reach. Success by cheating was the central theme of Working Girl, a film that tied up all sorts of 1980s thematics. The two leads were box office supernovae. Harrison Ford plays a wholesome everyman city manager and Sigourney Weaver, the indie Amazon made great by Ghostbusters, is his evil boss. The heroine of the film, though, is a blonde icon of meritocracy. Melanie Griffith is introduced early in the film, arriving at the Big Apple in the same manner as immigrants would have done a century earlier. But this is class, not national migration, and Griffith's triumph in the workplace is a whole lot more palatable to the audience. Here's the tie-in single, Let the River Run, sung by Carly Simon.
Working girls straddled the Central American ideals rendered anew in 1980s Reaganomics and looked forward to the new punchy feminism of the 1990s. It was a mainstream film for mainstream ideas, well-made and good fun. It's as close to a formula as you might expect to get. Over here, as is often the way, we weren't doing films in quite the same fashion. In fact, one of the great films of 1989 was different in almost every respect to Working Girl, and yet gave us one of today's enduring feminist icons in Helen Mirren. The Cook, the Thief, His Wife and Her Lover is the enduring masterwork of Peter Greenaway. The film is a mannered, faintly surrealist sequence of episodes rendered almost entirely as a series of dark Baroque oil paintings. Visceral is too insufficient a word to cover its violence and wet heat, punctuated with a series of utterly credible sexual encounters. Greenaway's familiar composer at arms, Michael Nyman, produced this wonderful Baroque Weimar hybrid as if Handel were writing music for a Brecht stage play. Decadent, confrontational, wry, and yet not without pathos. Yes, it's difficult to know exactly what people are going to want to see. Well, almost. From the perspective of almost a quarter of a century on from 1989, there is one film that has become a totemic genre in itself, a hugely entertaining blockbuster that props up the Christmas schedules almost as regularly as It's a Wonderful Life. In fact, with the emotional driver of family versus money, it's not dissimilar to Frank Capra's perennial classic – though I'm not entirely sure we can see Jimmy Stewart coining one of cinema's most famous one-liners by dropping a makeshift bomb down a lift shaft. Yes, Die Hard is 18 Certificate Entertainment at its most wholesome, a western fought out in an echt 1980s corporate tower block with a double distillation of an Englishman playing a German as a baddie. The good guys win, and the film plays out with Vaughan Munro singing in the season. Happy Christmas indeed. 
Though the weather outside is frightful But the fire is so delightful And since we've no place to go Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow It doesn't show signs of stopping And I brought some corn for popping The lights are turned way down low Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow Let me finally kiss goodnight How I hate going out in the storm But if you really hold me tight All the way home I'll be warm The fire is slowly dying And my dear, we're still goodbye But as long as you love me so Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow When we finally kiss goodnight How I hate going out in the storm But if you really hold me tight All the way home I'll be warm The fire is slowly dying And my dear, we're still goodbye But as long as you love me so Let it snow, let it snow Come to LA, they said. Have a few laughs, they said. That's uh, on the end of Die Hard, isn't it? Wonderful stuff. Thank you, Chaney. Another uh, superb um, bit of stuff. <laughs> I've put the aircon on. Can you hear it? Yeah, let's make a bit of a noise. I'm going to turn that off. I'm warm. It's warm in here. No, that was fantastic. And hopefully he'll be with us next week. Fingers crossed. Uh, so I can't witter on because I've got about the next hour to myself to play you music from films I liked from each year of the 1980s. And then I promise we'll stop talking about the 1980s. Why is it that we usually ignore the fourth dimension? You see, we can move in the other three. As the doctor said, up, down, forwards, backwards, sideways. But when it comes to time, we are prisoners. Hey, Doc, we better back up. We don't have enough roads to get up to 88. Roads? Well, we're going, we don't need roads. You maniac! You blew it up! God damn you! God damn you all to hell! Must be some kind of hot tub time machine. Oh, yes. So, here we go. If the timings work, this is going to be brill. If the timings don't work, it's not going to be brilliant. Okay, here we go. So we're going to start in 1980. And I want to pick All That Jazz, directed by Bob Fosse, based on the story of his own attempts to direct the uh, original Broadway Chicago and edit his film Lenny at the same time. Uh, The central character, Joe Gideon, looks, dresses and talks exactly like Fosse. Uh, There are actually pictures of the two men on set. It's really strange. They look like a mirror image. Uh, It's clearly egotistical, but also funny and touching and probably the best film ever made about what it really takes to put on a Broadway show. You know, kind of um, pushing yourself to the limit. And uh, this is as far from glee, frankly, as it's possible to get. Uh, The film finishes with a big musical number as Gideon's life literally flashes before his eyes. (laughs) Extraordinary scene. As he dies on the operating operating table from heart problems. You know, bye-bye life. 
Bye-bye, sweet regrets. A uh, condition that would claim Fosse himself in 1987. Uh, all through the film, Gideon, stroke Fosse, if you like, is told about his condition and he chooses to ignore it, continuing to work and drink and smoke and womanise. It must be the most elaborate and expensive suicide note ever constructed. Uh, the film starts with a dazzling audition scene as hundreds of dancers are whittled down to just a few to the sound of George Benson and on Broadway. <laughs>
George Benson on Broadway from All That Jazz from 1980, the first of my pick of uh, 10 films from the 1980s that we didn't cover in the last 13 weeks, 12 weeks, had one week off, so that'd be 10 weeks. You know what I'm saying. Okay, I've got to have one of these. So, Kevin Markwick here. I'm going through 10 films from the 1980s that we didn't cover previously that I particularly like and want to draw your attention to. Sounding a bit school aren't I? Relax, Kev, it's fun. So, we've got to 1981 and Excalibur. Excalibur is John Borman's slightly bonkers retelling of the Arthurian legend. Visually amazing and at times all over the place, Borman is so single-minded that he somehow manages to pull it all together. Dazzling set pieces, battles and breathtaking images rather dwarf the characters, if I'm honest. Uh, all that is except uh, Merlin. <laughs> Played with eye-rolling gusto by Nicole Williamson. Uh, Helen Mirren is also striking as Morgana, Arthur's half-sister, and bringer of the kingdom's downfall. There's so much to enjoy here. Uh, the opening part of the story is Merlin weaves a mist for Uther Pendragon to lie with his enemy's queen. A young Liam Neeson as Seguin, and the appearance of Mordred in a golden mask is just breathtaking. Borman had been desperate to tackle the story of Arthur all his life, and he freely admits that it's informed all of his work. The striking closing battle, uh, when Arthur and Mordred, his bastard son, face each other across the battlefield to the sound of Wagner, is one of my favourite moments in cinema. Father, let us embrace at last. Ooh, it's good stuff. Sorry to cut Wagner off in his prime as well. Sacrilege, I know. Part of Siegfried's funeral march from Gatodamerung, as used in um, 
John Borman's uh, film Excalibur, which I think is still creditable, isn't it? I think. I think we're still allowed to like that one. Anyway, moving on. 1982, uh, Koya Nisquatsi. Not an easy film to categorise. Um, simply put, it's a collection of stunning images and time-lapse photography, all set to the amazing music of Philip Glass. Uh, Godfrey Reggio's staggering film is possibly the first film consciously about the environment. I'm probably wrong, you know. Let me know if I am. Although Reggio is often ambiguous when pressed as to the film's meaning. A direct translation of the Native American title is A Life of Moral Corruption and Turmoil. Uh, cityscapes and deserts pass before our eyes, always on the verge of decay or destruction. Man's imprint on his surroundings is fearsome indeed. Honestly, um, you really, it's a film you really, really must see. And this is the music.
Ernest Kotze, uh, Philip Glass's music from the extraordinary uh, film from 1983. Now, look, I was, I was listening so intently to that. I didn't load up the next cart. How ridiculous is that? Okay, here we go. And I pressed that in there. I'm all right. Oh, thank goodness. No, I was utterly mesmerised, as I always am, by that film. Um, in fact, if there was ever a film ripe for digital restoration so we could see a beautiful, beautiful DCP, has to be that. I'm not sure who had the rights to that one. Let's find out, shall we, and make them do it. Okay, so we're going to move on now to 1983, Eureka directed by Nicholas Rogue. It's the story of a Klondike prospector, Jack McGann, played by uh, Gene Hackman, who strikes it rich, yet ends up fearing his daughter, Tracy, uh, played by um, Mrs Nick Rogue, wasn't it? Teresa Russell. And his son-in-law, Rutger Hauer, who's really nasty, and he's a real sleaze in it, uh, are scheming to take his wealth, uh, and more importantly, his soul. It was a massive flop at the time, but it begs to be revisited. Rogue somehow combines the worst of human behaviour into a strangely compelling narrative. It starts out in the Klondike as Jack takes on a strange, metaphysical hunt for the motherlode. Maybe what we're seeing is a flashback filtered through his current experience. Maybe Jack feels not worthy of the massive wealth he finds at the expense of others, particularly his best friend and partner. Or it was always his destiny. Memory, as we all know, is unreliable and can lead to self-aggrandisement, a flaw all of Eureka's characters possess in some way. Jack and Rogue hit a rich seam indeed. Even, even if the last act doesn't quite uh, do what came before justice, it's a mighty work. Uh, and the music was by Stanley Myers.
part of uh, Stanley Meyer's score for Nicholas Rogue's amazing work that nobody went to see called Eureka. He was making films no one went to see at that time. Bad timing. Amazing film that nobody went to see. Actually, we've never covered Stanley Myers, have we? I just looked him up. He died in 1993, but he did write a, a reasonable range. He's a British film composer. I think he got rather um, uh, stuck with Cavatina, didn't he? Which they used in The Deer Hunter most famously. Although I seem to recall it was written for a film called The Walking Stick. Yes which had David Hemmings and Samantha Egger in it, and it was written by that bloke what used to live round here who wrote Polnark. <laughs> I can't remember his name. What was his name? Oh, anyway, uh, that's not relevant. This is too tight a timing. I can't go off on one of those um, strange uh, other things that I go off on. So that was 1984. Each one of these tracks I hear, I want to see the film again, which is a good sign, isn't it? Um, 1985. A uh, complete change of pace. One of the most influential comedy films of all time. This is Spinal Tap, a fake documentary following a pompous, fading British heavy metal band on tour in the US. It introduced us to the brilliantly observed naturalistic comedy of Christopher Guest and his troupe of talented performers, including Simpson stalwart Harry Shearer as bass player Derek Smalls, Michael McKean as lead singer David St. Hubbins, and Guest himself as... Uh, Lead, uh, lead guitarist Nigel Tufnell they all did that slightly thing where they do that Americans do that they do an English accent with sort of flat vowels like that and we don't talk like that do we and then you sort of end up turning into Michael Go oh stop doing it like all good comedy it's only a millimetre away from the truth as the tour staggers from one disaster to another and the band argue amongst themselves and the music is just spot on from the ridiculous Stonehenge <laughs> to the absurd Big Bottom
talk about mud flaps. Spinal Tap, Big Bottom from uh, <laughs> the 1984 film, which is such a revelation at the time. We sat and uh, just couldn't believe it. So, uh, Rob Reiner, wasn't it? Yeah, I didn't mention Rob Reiner. Should I mention him? I mean, he had a big impact. I suppose he got the picture made, didn't he? Oh, that's a bit unkind. But it was definitely Christopher Guest's film, really, I would say. So, what's happening now? 1986. Uh, no, it's not. 1985. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Put your hands up. No, you missed 1985. Uh, After Hours. This is a Scorsese film that rarely comes up these days, uh, which is a shame because it's immensely funny and entertaining. Set over one night in New York City, Griffin Dunn is an insomniac yuppie lured downtown late at night to hook up with the ethereal Rosanna Arquette. And from the moment the speeding insane taxi driver causes his only money to go flying out of the window, Dunn's evening spirals into the first yuppie nightmare movie and the whole film passes before you in an almost dreamlike state. It's, quite, it's also quite disturbing in a sort of Kafkaesque way, the way the urban landscape becomes unfamiliar and threatening. Um, do they still show it? I haven't seen it in a while, actually. I shall dig it out. Uh, and the score by Howard Shaw is suitably disconcerting.
Graham was the name I was looking for, the guy that wrote Pulled Up. This is Howard Shaw's score for um, After Hours. It's all coming back to me now. Wonderful. Kiki Bridges. <laughs> With a bagel and cream cheese plaster of Paris paperweights. Oh, it was great. Uh, we're going to have one of these, and when we come back, what year will it be? Come on, everyone. It'll be 1986. I'm loving this, actually. Kevin Markwick here, taking you on a mad sort of supermarket sweep dash through the 80s with 10 of the films that I've picked um, after our big kind of 80s feature over the last 10, 12 weeks. Uh, films that either got missed, well, I don't think they got missed. I just think not many people went to see most of them because that's the kind of film, yeah, that I quite often like. So, um, where do we get to? Oh, here we go. 1986, Jean de Florette. Now, I've included this, not just because it's a fine film um, that we didn't mention in our deliberations, uh, but I actually picked it because it went a long way to sell subtitle films to people who would normally avoid them like the plague. Um, directed by Claude Berry, uh, the story is such a powerful tale of greed and betrayal that anyone would be drawn in, whether you like subtitles or not. Uh, local farmer Gerard Depardieu is heartbreaking as the city dweller that sentence has made no sense. Gerard Depardieu is heartbreaking as the city dweller who will go to any lengths to work the land he's acquired, despite the greedy Yves Montand and Daniel O'Teal having blocked up his spring. And that's not even a euphemism, meaning he has to walk miles every day for water, eventually driven mad as his crops fail. The second film, Manon du Source, was equally successful. Um, <coughs> excuse me, sadly, the beautiful score by Jean-Claude Petit has uh, been rather raped and pillaged by beer commercials to retain much of its relevance.
The theme from Jeanne de Florette, uh, which Cheney quite rightly points out, is actually adapted from Verdi. Um, but, uh, yeah, oh, yes. <laughs> I showed the first film to my kids and they didn't want to watch the second film. Mmm, not sure why that happened. OK, where do we get to? Oh, let's have a look at the list of glory. <sighs> oh, 1987. Uh, Baghdad Café. A wonderful German film set in the California desert. Directed by Percy Adlon, it's a story of a friendship between women from two worlds who, of course, have much in common. Brenda runs the most remote rundown motel in the world and Jasmine is a large German frau who, after abandoning her husband on the road, the car breaks down. She had enough. She's got this little little suitcase that she carries with her um and she takes up residence at the baghdad cafe which is just literally in the middle of nowhere it's this kind of dust swept sandy backwater um where she's surrounded by bonkers characters uh, particularly rudy played by jack palance clearly parodying himself um and of course the two women become um inseparable friends and she makes everyone's life better a truly independent film actually and the main theme song, sung by Yvetta uh, Steele, lingers long in the mind. A desert road from Vegas to nowhere Someplace better than where you've been A coffee machine that needs some fixing little cafe just around the bend I am calling you can't you hear me
previous to no way Someplace better than the way you've been A coffee machine that needs some fixing And a little cafe just around the bend A hot dry wind blows right through me The baby's crying and I can't sleep And I can feel a change is coming Coming closer Yvette Steele calling you from Percy Adlin's film uh, Baghdad Cafe, starring the extraordinary uh, Marianne uh, Sergebrecht. Would that be how you pronounce it? German-speaking friends as Yasmin and the uh, impressively monikered CCH Pounder as Brenda. Adlin's next film with uh, uh, Marianne uh, Sergerbrecht wasn't quite so successful. Uh, what was it called? Uh, Rosalie Goes Shopping. Not quite so good. But Baghdad Cafe, if you've not seen it, you must go and find it. Is it on Netflix? Probably not. They never have anything I want. Uh, 1988. Uh, in 1988, Polish director Krzysztof Kislowski made one of the greatest works of television, Decalogue was a series of one-hour films loosely based around the Ten Commandments. Each of the films explores a moral or ethical dilemma. It's set mostly around a bleak Warsaw housing project, with some of the same characters drifting in and out. Um, you, I don't think they interact. You kind of see them, uh, you know, old lady with shopping bag or man by fire and that kind of stuff. Uh, crucially, for our purposes, Kozlowski uh, expanded two of the films into features for the cinema, a short film about love and a short film about killing. Uh, killing contains two utterly senseless killings, one by a young drifter who murders a taxi driver and the second by the state in one of the most chilling scenes ever put on film when the boy is executed for his crimes. As with all Keslowski's work, what appears to be ambiguity is in fact space. A space for us to filter the story through our own prejudices and insecurities and have them reflected back at us. Essential viewing, uh, the whole thing, the whole decalogue, but the film, uh, uh, a short film about killing, extraordinary. And the score by Zbigniew, um, um, oh, it's my Polish again. <laughs> Zbigniew Preisner, there you go, was uh, simple and effective. Uh, here's a short cue.
part of uh, Zbigniew Preisner's um, score for a short film about killing, which is uh, one of the most bruising films you'll ever encounter. OK, so here we are. We've already come to the end of the 80s. That was fast. Kev. That's like you had a time machine, some kind of hot tub time machine. Uh, 1989. Uh, we're going to go right, right out now, right out into the left field, as our uh, colonial cousins say. Society. I thought we'd see the deca- decade out with something broad, disgusting and cartoonish. Could be describing me, really, couldn't it? Uh, Brian Usner's bonkers film Society is a classic of the low budget body horror subgenre. Bill Whitney seems to have it all. He's uh, what, 17, his family is wealthy, he lives in a mansion in Beverly Hills, California, he's got a cheerleader girlfriend. However, he's always suspected, like most of us when we're teenagers, that he's different. However, and when he thinks he hears his family having an orgy on tape, he slowly uncovers the truth. When all is revealed, actually, through all various machinations, we won't go into here, um, it turns out the whole of the rich neighbourhood is a different species entirely who engage in bizarre orgies where they eat poor people and somehow enter each other's flesh. Um, <clears throat> the last 15 minutes is quite incredible as heads come out of anuses and flesh becomes intermingled, all in this kind of bloody mess that makes that kind of... And finally, our hero makes his escape as he he punches his fist through the rectum of the bad guy, all the way up through his intestines, grabs the back of his face and turns him inside out. Extraordinary. Uh, As a metaphor for the greed of the rich feeding on the poor throughout the 80s, it is a blunt one, I will admit, but it is quite effective. Um, And as the end credits roll, we hear a slightly strange version of the Eaton Boat song. Now, I wonder whether the Americans knew about Eaton. They must have done, yeah? Probably. Anyway, goodbye, the 1980s. I wish I could say it's been fun.
Moore singing the Eaton Boat song on the end credits of... I'm resting to say amazing. Bonkers, daft, sickening... Original... Cheap... Society. Have you seen it? Let me know. Really, let me know. Have you seen Society? Is there anyone out there listening to the show that's seen Society? So that was the 1980s. I really enjoyed that. So we're going to have a break and then music down to the news.
has to be uh, one of this year's best albums too. Repave is the album. Uh, the track is Comrade Volcano Choir, uh, featuring, of course, uh, Justin Vernon, the vocalist from um, The Other Lot. <laughs> Oh, what are they called? You know, oh, I like them too. Oh, blinking out, it's gone completely. Uh, from Bon Iver, of course. Do you know, that's only the second time that's happened tonight, and given the amount of information that I've imparted, for my brain to empty only twice, actually, I think must be things must be getting better. I, I must be eating my greens or something. Uh, this is another one of my favourites uh, of the year, Jonathan Wilson. <laughs>
Lovely stuff. Um, Jonathan Wilson, her hair is growing long. From the current M current LP fanfare on Downtown Records. Highly recommended. Uh, let's do this one. Uh, very nice track, actually. Introduced to me by the uh, good lady wife. Uh, Heidi Talbot, Button Up.
what you hear. That's uh, Heidi Talbot uh, all the way from uh, Killeny. Uh, not Killeny, Kildare in Ireland. And uh, I do believe that's Kenny Anderson, better known as King Creosote, also on vocals on that one. So it's nearly all over. I've got one more track um, and then some adverts and then it's all over. And only one more show to go after this one. Are you sad? Are you? Uh, next week, what we're going to do is a bit of um, uh, looking back at the year gone by in movies and maybe music, if you're lucky. And we're also going to look at what's coming up in uh, 2014. Oh, it's going to be some exciting stuff. Um, none of it I can think of at the top of my head uh, for the moment. Oh, yeah, is there a Care Bears movie? I'm not sure. Uh, here's Tom Waits, a uh, short track from Shorefish. <laughs> a short track from Swordfish Trombones. That's a tongue twister in itself. Beautiful piece. I'm still. Is it from Tom? It's not from Shorefish Trombones. No, what am I talking about? It's from Alice. It's uh, I'm Still Here. Lovely. Tom Waits from Alice. I didn't even need the tongue twister sound from human humans. Uh, I'm still here. Right, we're going to do a break. And when we come back, we'll chat about this, that, and the show will be over and we'll all be sad. So that's it. It's all over bar the uh, recriminations. Uh, thank you very, very much for listening. It's been great having you along. I really do appreciate it. And if you listen on the podcast, that's for you, madam and sir. You could have had a shave, frankly. Um, and next week, we're going to be looking at uh, what went on in 2013. Is it 2013? I'm still getting used to writing the date. Still, uh, still, not the right checks, but you know what I mean. And uh, we can also look at next year, where there are one or two interesting things coming up. Not least, I've got a lot of building work to be doing. 
So can you uh, let me know at Kevin Markwick uh, on Twitter or on the Facebook page? Um, you can get in touch with us there. Let us know what your favourite films of the year have been and maybe we'll even read it out. If we think you're an idiot for suggesting it, then we'll do no such thing. But anyway, I, and tomorrow I'm off to see Lars von Trier's Nymphomaniac. <laughs> so pray for me. I'm going to leave you with Supertramp. Goodbye, stranger and friend. Bye. Morning yesterday. I was up before the dawn. And I really have enjoyed my stay. But I must be moving on. Like a king without a castle. Like a queen without a throne. I'm an early morning lover. Is the undisputed truth But I have to have things my own way To keep me in my youth Like a ship without an anchor Like a slave without a chain Just a thought of those sweet ladies As I ship out through my veins And I will go on shining Shining like brand new I'll never look behind me Yeah.